Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. Hey, first off, can, can you guys see me okay? That's a camouflage joke. <laughs> I was hidden. Wow. Okay. Well, this week, Kim and I were talking about memorized prayers you would have as a kid. I, I don't know if you guys had those maybe at bedtime or, or lunchtime or dinner time or whatever the case may be. We were specifically, she asked me if I had one, we would eat a meal when I was growing up as a kid. If I had this repetitive childlike prayer that you would memorize and spew out if you were asked to say grace before you would eat. And I couldn't think of one that, that I had. I, I know of some child prayers before dinner time, but I, I can't recall growing up if I had a specific one that we would say a lot. And I, I couldn't think of that. And I said, well, did you? And she said, yeah, yeah. Me and my sisters, every time before we would eat a meal as children growing up, we would say, babe, is it, I would bow my head and fold my hands, thank the Lord for our daily bread. Amen. Right? You got to end it that way. Amen. Okay. So anyway, y'all heard that prayer before? That was just in Alabama. And, and so... She said, though, they would say that quite a bit. And so her oldest sister um, was probably around 17 at the time and, and had her boyfriend over probably for the first time to have dinner with the family, kind of a big occasion. And the dad wanted to put the daughter on the spot and to say, hey, lead us out in prayer. And the prayer she went to was, now I fold my hands and bow my heads, heads, I don't know if that's plural, head, and thank the Lord for our daily bread. Amen. So that was her prayer in front of her boyfriend, which was really nice. But we have different prayers that we've memorized. Maybe for you, it was the bedtime prayer. Maybe it was before a meal. Uh, but I think the most memorized prayer is the Lord's Prayer. Okay? A lot of people are taught the Lord's Prayer, and you memorize it. How many of you know it in the room today? You know the Lord's Prayer. Okay, let's say it. Our Father. Now, this is tricky. Oh, uh, there we go. There's where it gets a little bit off. Deaths and trespasses. Okay, as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And temptation. Glory and the power forever. Okay. Now, there, it is always interesting, the trespasses and the debts and all that. And we'll go to the scripture of what that looks like. Now, I'm going to be honest, and I've told some of you this before, but I didn't memorize that one as a kid either. I, don't, I mean, we prayed, but we just didn't do the whole memorization thing, I guess, when it came to prayers. And so my senior year uh, in the locker room before one of our basketball games, the coach said, hey, John, lead us out in prayer. And we were supposed to lead the Lord's Prayer. And I didn't <laughs> I, what? You know, I was so nervous because I knew it happened before games. I just didn't ever think he'd call on me. And so I just threw out our father and then everyone started praying. I was like, okay, I'm good. All I had to do was remember that part because I didn't know the rest in the order that they were supposed to go. Every once in a while I'd know like, okay, here comes the bread, bread. And I'd yell it just to kind of fool everybody that I was really leading that prayer when I wasn't. But I also think back to this old show called Night Court. 
Now, this is really going to date me, okay? This was a funny show. Maybe not so funny when you go back and watch it now. I have no idea. But in the time, I thought it was funny and, and as a kid. So I'm really young, and this show called Night Court, the bailiff, the tall, bald guy in the back, his name was Bull, Bull Shannon, I believe. And he wasn't so bright. He wasn't the brightest bulb in the package, okay? And so he, he was a little ditzy. But one episode I remember, and it's funny the things that you'll remember as a kid. I don't have a great memory as a child. Kim makes fun of me all the time because I do not remember a lot of childhood stuff. But I do remember a quote from that show. And it was real easy for me to find this week. Bull got electrocuted. He got hit by lightning, okay? He was up on the road, got struck by lightning. The bailiff, who's not so bright, and he told everyone, he heard God speak to him. It was the voice of the Lord speaking to him. And everyone's trying to figure out, Bull, it couldn't have been God, literally. No, God literally spoke to me. And he believed it the whole show until they found out at the end, it was actually Art, the janitor, who revived him. That was the voice Bull was hearing. It wasn't God, it was Art. But Bull said, wait a second, that makes sense our Father who art in heaven. Okay, so that always stuck out to me. I couldn't remember the prayer after that, but I remember who art in heaven, right? And so some people think God's name is art, but it's not. And I wanna go to this prayer because I think a lot of times we read this prayer or we think about this prayer and we really don't understand what it's all about, the Lord's Prayer. Now we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not actually Jesus necessarily praying this as a prayer. Luke talked about that, about uh, three weeks ago, we went through John chapter 17. Jesus, we went through Jesus praying and his prayer for his disciples and the followers after his disciples. Jesus prayed for them and we went through that prayer. Now, this prayer is a model prayer. It's Jesus saying, hey, uh, if you're interested in what prayer is, this is a way you could pray. It's not a formula. It's not even necessarily a prescription of prayer. It's more a description of prayer. So if you have a Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read out of the ESV because it's more closely to the prayer that you guys just spit out. And all of you were doing a great job with it, okay? But this is the Lord's Prayer and in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we see the disciples actually said, Jesus, teach us to pray. He said, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. In, in fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the very first words say, pray then like this. This is Jesus saying, okay, you want to be taught about prayer? Let me say how to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we have recorded Jesus's prayer. We have recorded other prayers of the disciples. We have other prayers of Jesus, in fact. And he doesn't ever pray exactly like this. So that's not the point. The point is that we should only pray this prayer every time we pray. We're missing the point if that's what we take from this, because that's not the point. This is more an example of, okay, here's some important aspects of prayer. And he starts off kind of controversially, actually. But he says, when you start your prayer, start with calling God your father. Call him dad. Now, right out of the gate, the Jewish listener, okay, to the Jewish ear, this would be upsetting to a certain degree. It would be controversial because Jewish men and women didn't address God that way. In the Old Testament, we see none of our biblical heroes in prayer calling God Father. We don't see it. Now, we see the nation of Israel seven times, but not as individuals. They're not calling out to God as Father in prayer. Now, Jesus, though, he often used that term prayer, or used that term in prayer. He would call God 
Father. And then he tells his disciples, this is what you're going to do. When you start your prayer, you're actually going to start by calling him Dad, Father. Now, why would Jesus do that? Now, you've got to, again, think like this is something we do all the time now. But you've got to go back and think, wow, this is actually pretty cutting edge to move into this aspect where you're addressing God and saying, hey, Dad, God, you are our Father. Now, what Jesus is doing, Jesus is highlighting the relationship. And for you, if you're a believer, God is your Father. And that is a title that he holds dearly. I have different titles in my life. People call me different things. I love, in fact, Cindy's in the back here. And Cindy, just uh, yesterday, I believe it was, do I call you Pastor John? Some people call me Pastor John. Some can't say the word pastor, so they call me PJ. But I, I love being your pastor. And that's a title that I'll be called, Pastor John. Sometimes I'm coach to some people. Coached two games yesterday. And in that, I'll be called coach. There's other titles that, uh, words I can't repeat, that, that uh, aren't my favorite necessarily, but I'll get called those as well. But my favorite would, would have to be daddy. When my kid calls out daddy, especially when it's in a loving way and with something good on the other end, maybe a hug instead of a complaint or a whine. But being called daddy, there, it carries so much responsibility and so much uh, blessing with it, to be known as dad. Now, obviously, me and, and, and being a male and being a daddy, that means a whole lot to me. But what Jesus says is that when you start, start with this relationship that he is your father. And I think what Jesus is trying to let us know when we pray, again, not to say exact, this exact prayer every time we pray, but to say, you're not praying to some impersonal force or this cosmic vending machine. Okay, this is not mechanical, it's relational. He's your dad. As a believer, he is your father. And I would never want my kids to come to me and treat me as some emotionless entity that has no relationship with them. And that's what Jesus is highlighting. Don't treat God that way. I don't want them to think that I'm just a get something from dad, this, this machine that if I go to him and I say the right things and push the right buttons and I can get what I want and then leave without the relationship and then come back to him when I need something else. I don't want that type of relationship with my kids. Sometimes it can feel like that, right? Hey, dad, I need another buck. Hey, dad, can I go get this? Hey, but if that's all we see God is, then we're far short of the relationship that it could be. God is our father, and he longs for that intimate, deep relationship that a perfect father would want with their child. Now, this relational aspect of God goes all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve, he's with them. He's communicating with them. He's with them in the garden, spending time with them, talking with them. Then the earth is populated. And of course, there's a whole bunch to that story. But even as the Israelites grow in number, he says, hey, this is what you need to know. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. But in this whole process, he tells the Israelites, just love me with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. And all of this is to highlight God is a relational God. He doesn't want us to even just obey out of some religious ritual. He's saying, let's be in relationship together, which makes me ponder. You know, if, if being a dad was just to get the kids to do what I told them to do, I wouldn't want to be a dad. I wouldn't enjoy that. If my whole role as a father, role as a father was just to get them to do what I want them to do. No, there's so much more to being a dad. 
a parent even. Or think about your relationship with a father. God longs for relationship with you. You. Even you, even me. Now, of course, some of you did not have maybe any relationship with your earthly father. Maybe it was a poor relationship. And so it makes it hard for you to imagine what a good relationship looks like. I want to encourage you. This is why Jesus says, start with this. Because you need to know God is perfect. Your heavenly father has no faults, no mistakes. And he loves you unconditionally. Even if you had a poor representation on earth, Jesus is like, no, no. Understand, if you start with the proper perspective that he is a good, good father, it'll make a difference in the rest of your prayer life. It really is a game changer. And that's why I want to spend more time on this one than I will all the other parts of this prayer. But I want you to know that this is less a business relationship and more a family relationship. In fact, it's not a business relationship at all. It's not goods and services. It's not mechanical. A business relationship is all about your performance and what you are bringing to the company or what you're doing in your work and in your job. But a family relationship is about commitment. It's about blood. It's not about performance. It's about birth. It's about belonging. And so if you have a problem with a coworker or boss, you can write them off. You can avoid them. You can never see them. You can change jobs. You can change occupations. But this is family. And if there's a problem, they're still brother. They're still mama. They're still dad. Because it's birth. It's blood. It's a commitment through the family. You could think of it this way. As, as uh, if you lived in someone's house, you can be a tenant or you can be family. A landlord, I'm going to charge you. I'm going to have specific rules. It's a different type of relationship when it's all business. But if you're a child, you're just like, I belong here. This is where I'm supposed to be. It's just like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of this family. It's unconditional. I'm already in. I'm in because I'm a child of my mom or dad. Or if my parents are together, I'm in this family. And now, typically what happens is then the performance happens after because you know you're in. Like, okay, this is what the family does. This is the family unit. But it's not to do these things to get in the family. You're already in the family. So there's a different type of relationship. We need to make sure we know that God is our Father. And that's why Jesus has start with our Father who's in heaven. I love John 1.12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. If we've believed in him, we've given our life to Jesus, we are now a child of God. The scriptures teach us there's an adoption that takes us, that takes us place. We have been brought into the family of God by the Father. And legally, adoption is a parent saying, I'm taking you legally as a child and going to love you as my own, as my natural biological child. You are coming into this family like that. And that's what adoption is supposed to be. Obviously, it's not always perfect, but when God adopts us in, it's perfect. The Father is loving us as his own. I love 1 John 3, 1 as well. I, uh, if you don't have it right there, I'd love for you to write it down, but look on the screen. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. And I like this last part, and that is what we are. Let's read it again. See how very much our Father loves us. 
for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. As Christians, we really should be blown away by how much God loves us, so much that he would adopt us, that he would pick us and say, no, 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 you with me. Come on, I'm gonna take you as my own. You're my child. Come into my family. I'll be your father. And it's that love that initiated that family relationship. He, we love because he first loved us. And he demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die for us. And so when we realize how much the Father loves us, you know what the result is? It's praise. When you realize you've got a Father that has picked you out of the... You, you, you ever been the last one picked? Boy, that's a, that's a weird place to be. But when you were picked first and he said, I want you in my family, not that you're the leftover, but because I want you and I'm going to send my son to die for you so that I, you can be adopted into my family. And when you're picked by God and you see that love, you know what the result is? It's praise. There, there is no other choice but to say, oh my gosh, I, I praise you, God. And that's why the next part of the prayer and the Lord's prayer is what? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. What a weird word. I can't think of any instance where you would use that in, in any other situation. You know, it's probably not part of your normal speech. Oh, those chiefs are hallowed. Okay, you probably don't say that. But it's an old English word. But the Greek word, it... it, it it comes from, it, is, it means holy, it means sacred, it means special, set apart is what hallowed means. And so God is dad and he's father, but he's sacred, he's holy, he's set apart, he's not like any other dad, he is the one true dad, the one true father who is pure, holy, sacred, unique, special. He's so special in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even say God's name. It was so hallowed that they wouldn't even speak it because they, they didn't even think, count themselves worthy to say the name Yahweh, to say God. They would be very careful with their mouth. And that reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Can we just have a time of conviction for a second on that one? Do we come here ready to word vomit on God or, or to have our ears open and say, God, what is it you want me to do today? I submit to you. I yield to you. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God's in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. And the idea is that we should guard our steps to God and be so focused on who he is and what we're doing because he's so holy. Hallowed be your name. It's so, you're so sacred. You're so special. You're so set apart that I'm going to be careful about even how I approach you. Jesus addresses that right before he teaches the disciples how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, if you're in Matthew 6, look at verse 7. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And this isn't a, a, a shame upon a long prayer, but upon a mindless empty one of empty phrases, of just saying the same thing over and over again because you think some ritual is going to change God. You think you can manipulate God with how you say things. So don't, don't go on and on like that. He's so holy, he's so sacred that, that we should never mindlessly engage him in prayer and in 
worship, because that's what it's meant to be, praise to the Father. And so we stand in awe on Him, we revere Him, and we say, hallowed be Your name, You are holy, You are sacred. We approach the throne of grace with confidence, and we do that boldly, but as we approach the throne of grace, we know that we are approaching the holy God, the one true God. We know what He is capable of, and the heartbeat of this is praise. We love on Him. We adore Him when we come to Him. He deserves it. And so don't just use prayer to pray or ask for stuff. Don't skip praise. Adore Him. Love on Him. Yes, we can talk about asking for things, and that's a part of this prayer, but we can't skip praise. We need to love on God because you are wired to praise. You're going to pray something or someone. You're wired for it. It's created in you. Eternity has been set on our hearts. We know that there is more to life than this. And so we're going to try to praise something glorious. Now, we might deem a a football or a basketball glorious or um, a person, a famous person or something glorious. And we might give our praise. But if we're not praising God, the rocks are going to cry out because he's the one worthy of praise. So don't let the rocks take your praise. You say, hallowed be your name. You are holy, sacred, special. You are set apart, God. Then the next part is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This part of the prayer is all about rule. It's about who's in authority, who's in control, who's, the, who's got the lordship over your life. A part of your prayer life should be you submitting to his will and way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I submit to your rule, to your way, to you being king of my life. You're basically saying, Jesus, if you were here right now on earth in in the flesh and you were set up as king, as the ultimate authority, whatever you would say goes, I want that to go in my life. You're the boss. You you take over. Whatever you say is, is the right thing to do, that's what my life is shooting for. That's what you're praying when you pray that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one day Jesus is coming and he's going to rule that way. Now, for a short season, God has allowed Satan to roam freely. For a short season, God has allowed us to screw up and make mistakes. But one day Jesus will come and he will be the only king. But think about it. Do you really want him to be king of your life? Do you really want him to call the shots, to lead you? You know, I think sometimes we'd actually prefer to rule God because our prayer lives say that. Sometimes, a lot of times, our prayer life is, God, do this, do that. We're telling God what to do, right? Is that your prayer life? Not your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is, hey, God, yo, I need this. God, will you do this, do that? And, and we try to say, God, this is what's fair for me. We have a really good definition of fair, don't we? We think we know fair better than God knows fair. By the way, my kids do that to me. Your kids do that to you. See, you're not the only one that has ever had to deal with that problem. They think they know right. They know what's better. And, and they'll say, Daddy, I know what's fair. Not you. Daddy, I know what's right. Not you. And guess what? We do the same thing to God. Hey, Daddy, do this in my life. And if you don't do it, you're wrong. You say, I'd never say that. But yes, that's what your prayer life is screaming. But Jesus says, no, pray that God would rule and that you would come under his lordship, his headship, his authority, that he would reign and rule over your life. Part of that is, is your kingdom come, your will be done, is praying God's will. God, what is your will? To know God's will, you've got to get in the word. 
And when you start getting in the word, you're gonna know what, it is, what his will is. And I'm just telling you, like when we, we had a prayer time at 10.30, if you're online in this room, 10.30, come pray with us. I didn't plan this out, but I prayed a lot of scripture. And a lot of people didn't even know probably. But it was verse, 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 verse. I do that because I, like I like to pray the scripture. And the Holy Spirit will bring that to my mind. But I'm praying the word because it's his will. I can't be wrong if I'm praying for his will. You know, one of aspect of God's will, 2 Peter 3, 9. Think about this. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, about his return, as some people think. No. He is being patient for your sake. Look what he wants. He does not want anyone to perish or be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He wants lost people found. He wants dead people alive. He wants to see people come to know him. That's why he hasn't come back yet. So what do you think God's will is? People would come to know him. So what's what, what, what is something you could pray under the lordship of Christ? People would come to know Jesus. Who's your one in 21? I'm challenging the church. We are going to triple by the end of April. The only way that's going to happen is every person says, I got one. I got my one. I'm not going to worry about anyone else, but I got one. Who's your one in 21? And you're going to pray for them. And you're going to ask God that they would turn from their sin and turn to him and be a part of the faith family like everyday church. You want to come under the lordship of Christ, pray his will. It's clearly his will that you would have a spiritual conversation with someone that doesn't know him. Clearly his will. You don't have to question, should I talk to this person about Jesus? Um, it's his will. Pray, bathe it in prayer. Be ready for it and then be obedient. But you have this relationship, you pray his will and you pray for his kingdom to come. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get to give us this day our daily bread. Now, this part of this prayer made me pause because I noticed immediately this week, it didn't say, give us this day our daily latte. And that was a little confusing to me because I, 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 I don't know if I've really had to pray this prayer of give me my daily bread. Have you? Have you ever been a point in your life where you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to eat today? Besides you looking in your fridge and thinking, oh, I don't know if I want anything. But really, like, there's nothing there except you're going to need God to provide. Where you needed some food to get through the day. I'm guessing we might actually get angry at God if we had to pray for daily bread. You might be a little upset if you were literally down to your last dime. You're probably not too thrilled. We usually pray for enough money to eat out when we want or to retire at, when we, at a younger age and to live a good life. The word daily, it, it means enough for the day. That's why it's daily. It's very close to the actual meaning. And in most of the world, that's a real prayer. People are really praying, God, please give me my daily bread. We got freezers full of food and it's harder to kind of Digest that one, isn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we'll turn to God for our bread and threads, but do we really mean it? Do we really depend on God? It makes me think of Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. The end of it in verse 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just, this is really a prayer to God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich... I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Have you ever told God that? God, whatever you do, 
I know you got a lot going on, God, but I really need you to hear my prayer today. Don't make me rich. Whatever you do today, God, if you were even planning on that today, no, 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 God, do not make me rich. I'm I'm not so sure we've been praying that one, right? But the prayer is also, don't let me go hungry because I might be tempted to steal. But when you've got enough for the week and you've got enough for the month and you've got enough for the year even and maybe even years, it's real easy to no longer thank God for his provision. It's real easy to forget the one who gave you the, the stuff in the first place. Because now you're not dependent on him. And so it's real easy to forget who the provider really is. Maybe your life situation is, please God, give me my daily bread. Maybe you're online and you're like, man, I struggle every day. Or maybe your life situation needs to see that this is plural. Jesus said, give us our daily bread, us. And so if you have two and your brother has none, you can safely assume that your extra is to help the less fortunate. Give us this day our daily bread. I do want us to know, and I do think a part of this is Jesus saying, it's okay to ask what you need. We, we should feel comfortable casting our cares upon Jesus. We should be comfortable going to the Father. We have not because we ask not. We need to even be persistent in our prayers to God. We can even pester God over this. Who dare wakes a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water? Just a child. And he's our daddy. And we can go to him and we can say, God, I need this. Or will you, will you provide this? It is a-okay to do that. Don't ever forget that. And we always need to remember, he is the provider. Moves on to forgive us our debts. Or trespasses, some translations say, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, the New Living Translation translates this word sins because that's what the reference is. That's the idea. Literally, it is something that you would owe, but metaphorically, it was used for sin. It was used for a moral debt. And so you pray, forgive us of our sins as we've forgiven those who have sinned against us. And so when you pray this prayer which is a prayer that we are supposed to model after and say, Jesus, forgive me as I've forgiven others. You're saying, Jesus, literally forgive me as I've forgiven other people. And so if you pray that and you've been holding a grudge against someone, you are saying, and please, Jesus, continue to hold that grudge against me. That's a pretty serious prayer. It's pretty scary. This week we were working through a situation with Isabel. A friend at school had... uh, done something that offended her, that created a moral debt, a sin against her precious heart. To this little girl's credit, she apologized to my sweet Isabel. And I said, Isabel, what did you say back to this little girl? She said, I told her I forgive her, but daddy, I really haven't yet. So a good thing you told her that, right, babe? I think we do the same thing. We, we're good at pretending someone's forgiven, but then we'll hold that bitterness in our heart, that grudge, where we haven't really released the debt that that person created. And then we say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. But we're also saying, God, and you hold on to that too. You, you keep that grudge, God, just because I want you to forgive me as, 
as I've forgiven others. And forgive me in the same way. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. How did Jesus forgive you? What's the word you'd pick? How how has Jesus forgiven you? Give me a word. Yeah, that's a good word, Jason. Abundantly. I thought of completely. But abundantly is, is very appropriate for my life. And I know yours too, Jason. But it's, it is a me too, right? Okay, like that's not just a slam on Jason. That was just a joke, okay? Abundantly, we need forgiveness. But that's how he's forgiven us. And we're to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And if you would forgive people as Christ forgave you abundantly, completely, I'm telling you, your life and your relationship with God is going to be richer and more intimate because you're going to feel freer and you're going to experience grace on a deeper level. And Jesus actually addresses this immediately following the Lord's Prayer, the next couple of verses, 14 and 15. He says, if you forgive those, because I'm sure that was like, y'all going to have a little issue with what I just said. Let me explain it a little bit more. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But it, listen to this. If you refuse... To forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Do y'all think being a forgiving person is a big deal to God? God. These are things you just can't ignore in Scripture. You, You and me both are supposed to be the most forgiving people on the planet. Now, I told Izzy, I said, listen... Hey, you shouldn't have told me that this week because one, I'm going to use you in the sermon and two, I'm, I've got the gun loaded for all kinds of scripture for you, baby girl. Now let's have a heart to heart on this. You need to forgive. But I said, guess what? Let's say someone punches you in the stomach. I, it was a weird example. <laughs> it's okay. You know, sometimes in the moment I don't have such great wise things to say, but someone punches you in the stomach. I, do you forgive them? Yes. But guess what? Just because you've forgiven doesn't mean you go back to that same place and get punched in the stomach again. You can forgive with boundaries, but it does mean they don't owe you nothing. There's no debt. The debt has been paid. You wish well for them. You have forgiven them knowing because you screwed up too. You've punched people in the stomach before as well, metaphorically speaking. Some of you literally, Jason, abundantly. I get it. (laughs) But we've all screwed up. None of us in this room could say, man, I've lived such a holy life. I've never messed up. No, we all have. And Jesus still said, looked upon you and said, you know what? I lived a perfect life. Ha ha to your sin. I don't forgive you. No, he said, man, I get it. You're a human. You're going to fail. You got flesh, but I forgive you. And then we take that forgiveness, even when people have done the worst things, cruel things. I know it sucks, but you know what? People are jacked up. Hurting people hurt people, y'all. Hurting people hurt people. And they're messed up and they're hurt. And you know what? You can extend forgiveness. Now, do you go back and say, punch me in the stomach again? No, you don't have to do that. You can have a boundary. And you can pray for them. And you can love them at arm's length. But you cannot hold a grudge. You cannot hold bitterness towards them. You need to forgive them. Because you ain't perfect either. It's a big deal. Jesus then closes the prayer with this. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now, a lot of people struggle with this close to the prayer. You know, the line of the kingdom, that was actually added later in, in older manuscripts 
or, or I guess more recent, but the oldest manuscripts don't have that. They end with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A lot of people think, does this mean God can tempt us to sin? I, I don't think so. I don't think it implies that God leads us to the temptation as far as he tempts us to sin. It's a literary technique, saying something negative to highlight something positive. The positive is that Jesus can deliver us. But we pray knowing, hey, Satan has traps out there for us. There are wrong paths. God, don't let us go to those paths. Help us to stay away from those traps. God, please take us away from the enemy's schemes. There's temptation out there. God, protect us from those paths and those ways. But I, I think even part of this prayer, if we were, listen, now, all of this is we've got to be transparent and self-aware with ourselves. I think a lot of us would say, I don't mind temptation. I don't mind it. Because in our human nature, we love to get as close to the line as possible. Some of it's hubris. We think we can handle it. Some of it's just our human nature. We're kind of just curious. Curiosity killed the cat. My mom told me all the time growing up. I don't know what cat was curious, but they got killed evidently. And it was something to learn from that cat. But we like to get close to the line. And it's revealed it through some of the shows you watch, some of the things you read. But no, behind the temptation is the tempter. So this prayer isn't just to keep you from being naughty. It's Jesus to keep us from the evil one, whose MO is to steal, kill, and destroy. The tempter ain't out playing games, y'all. Or lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us. And that's what Jesus' name means. It, came, it comes from the word deliver or save so in verse 13, it's deliver us or save us or rescue us from the evil one, which is great because Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, but not just to forgive us. That's not the totality of our relationship. Jesus came to save us, deliver us, bring us away from evil, from the evil one, rescue us from our own sin and from Satan. And so church, turn to him. This prayer that Jesus has given us is a great heart of how we can be confident in approaching the Father in prayer. And we start with, hey, hey, Dad. Man, it feels good to know that you are my dad, my father. But I also know you are holy. Hallowed be your name. You are so sacred, so spe special. And yet I'm in relationship with you. I'm so humbled by that. And in, that, in light of your holiness, I submit to your authority. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I submit and yield to your authority, to your lordship. You call the shots in my life. You, you be the boss. Give us our daily bread. Provide for everything we need. Forgive us of, of our many sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And so I want to be a forgiving person. So on and on, you see through this prayer, the Lordship, the Father, the relationship, the provider, and that he would deliver us from the evil that is so present in this dark world. But he's good, and he's waiting. He's waiting for you to turn to him and have this constant relationship every day. Every day. Father, I start with that intentionally. You are a good father. Thank you 
as a good father, you hear the cries of your sons and daughters. That you are listening to us right now. And thank you in your holiness and in your wisdom. You know when you should shut us up, when you should step in, and when you uh, say no. And we need to submit to that. You hear our prayer, and may we be respectful of when the answer is no. May we hear when, when the answer is a challenge, when it's a, a lesson, when it's a step of obedience that we need to take, or when you just hug us and hold us in our sadness, or love on us, or, or delight in us. You rejoice over us with singing, Zephaniah tells us, and that you just sing over us in a moment of prayer. The relationship with you, God, is amazing and outstanding, incredible. Father, I pray that we would not forsake the opportunity to meet with you on a daily basis. A lot of us, our bread's taken care of, but the bread of life struggles, and we need to every day say, give us this daily spiritual bread, this time with you. And may we feast at your table. Your word does say that you stand at the door and knock, and that if we would open the door, you would eat with us and us with you. And I pray that we would feast in prayer. And we would be a people of prayer. And we'd be a house of prayer. And I pray, God, to pray your will. And I know right now for our church, I pray that your will would be done and that we would grow. We would see the lost found. We'd see people baptized. We would, Lord, even as I pray this, you would put one person on our heart and we would pray for them and then we would engage in a conversation of spiritual matters, of eternity, of things that really do matter. And we would have that boldness and you would fill us with boldness to engage the darkness and be a bright light in this community, in our city, in our families, in this world. And may everyday church shine bright for you. Lord, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. I pray as a people that we would be passionate about purity, we would stray from the evilness, the, the darkness out there. We wouldn't flirt with it. We would go the opposite direction and we would stay and, and, and stick out because of our brightness and the light that we have. Rescue us from any addictions. If anyone listening right now is struggling with addiction, set them free. In the name of Jesus, I beg of you, pray that you would release your power on them and set them free. You would remove the chains of the enemy of the evil one and you would set them free and replace that with strongholds of righteousness in their hearts and in their lives. Thank you for your power. Thank you that you can do anything and everything. And we trust in you that nothing is too hard for you and that you love us unconditionally and you have amazing grace for us. And may we be a people that give that grace to others that we so lovingly accept. And may now we lovingly bestow it. Thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. 
This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you if there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.